Okay, welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I am Adam A. Dalton from Guelph Politico, and joining me is... Uh, Scotty Hertz. Adam, I, I, I saw you somewhere online there at the uh, pro-Omicron march. Uh <laughs> <laughs> You're easy to spot because you were the only one with a mask on. Uh, I'm the one guy. Yeah. You doing okay? Are you? Oh no, I, I I was wearing a mask. I'm fine. Um. And it was outside, but. And it was outside. I, I I've toyed with the idea of like wearing like one of those press vests, like reporters wear in war zones when I go to these things. But I. <laughs> it's bulletproof, but also it's got an antibacterial surface. On it. It, yeah, exactly. But the mask, the mask pretty much says I'm, I'm pressed. So, uh, yeah. it's, it's worked out so far. Well, Having said that, may- I, I wouldn't mind taking a break from some of these protests for a couple of weeks. Well, there, there may be less very soon, but I guess that's a topic for another year, maybe at the rate we're going. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Open Sources is CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be Mayor Cam Guthrie. And we will wrap up uh, the year and talk about some of the recent events at City Council in this conversation. We'll also look ahead a bit to the future and what 2022 might bring. Uh, that will be at the bottom half of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about the life and legacy of Toronto Mayor Mel Lastman. But first, uh, is it time to break up with the United States? Well, Dimitri Laceris thinks to, seems to think so. Uh, you may know that name. He was the runner-up for the last uh, federal Green Party contest. Uh, definitely kind of the socialist pick, so it shouldn't be terribly surprising that he would turn to a lefty rag like uh, Canadian dimension, which I believe it does say lefty rag in the masthead, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> or close to it. <gasps> Well-established lefty rag, yeah. But but he wrote a piece called uh, Canada Must Prepare for America's Rapid Decline, and that seemed like a good way to talk about some of the issues in the United States and the way we need to talk about them here, uh, especially as we're kind of looking at current events uh, that have been happening this week with the former White House chief of staff being censured by the House and uh, the January 6th commission releasing these text messages that (laughs) pretty much everyone but Scott Baio was screaming for help on January 6th. Uh, (laughs) So, I mean, uh, you know, you're a a bit of a lefty rag yourself, Scotty. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) I have... uh, written for Canadian Dimensions a long time ago, but uh, yeah. Um, I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> it's not incorrect. Yeah, let's be honest. Uh, the decline and fall of the American empire. That was the, That's the thesis that the scarce is talking about here. And it's, it's, a, it's a recurring one. I'm pretty sure if you dug up a, a Canadian Dimension from 50 years ago, it's been around that long, mm-hmm. uh, that there is a similar narrative. In fact, I have noticed that over to the, Every once in a while, this surfaces. Um, supposedly, it's like, the, okay, this is this is when America is going to collapse. Okay, it's going to collapse now. It's going to collapse during Vietnam. It's going to it's continuously collapsing. I think that's just inherent to its nature. But he made mm. a lot of he made a lot of good points. Um, particularly the there was a there was myriad things in there, but um, gun control, mm. the lack of health care mm-hmm. is probably one that weighs large. Uh, considering today, it was today that, 
or this week anyway, 800,000 mm. deaths from COVID-19 in the US yep, yep. was announced. Yeah. And with the rate that we're going, I'm saying we, I mean the globe, but that I mean that's that's the most deaths in any country from COVID. Uh so maybe to focus on a difference just for a second, it is, you know, the COVID situation is something that Canada has definitely handled better than the US. Mm-hmm. His thesis is, okay, if America goes, so too does Canada. And I think there's some truth to that, but you know, there is, there's, there's room for a bit of like, not patting on the back, but Canada definitely has handled the COVID situation better for now, for now. I mean, right. We, we're right now heading into the, abyss again mm-hmm. seeing worse numbers than we did before but i guess COVID again is probably a topic for another time um which of course will probably weigh heavily in 2022 mm-hmm. but yeah that, that's um that that's one thing but there he there's the amount that we are interlinked with the u.s is 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 clear and has been for years particularly uh he focused a bit on the economy Mm-hmm. And that is definitely a heavy, a heavy one. Like Canada has been so tied to the U.S. being our number, not just being our number one trading partner, but what, what was that old saying about? Was, was it Trudeau said? Uh, uh, Trudeau senior saying about it when America sneezes and Canada catches a cold. I can't yeah. remember who came up with that. That's a, that's an old phrase, but there is a lot of truth to that. We are so linked to them that with all these things that are teetering it's just logical that we too are going to feel the effects. Yeah. It's there's some, as you said, as he said, you know, the, the primary focus is kind of the interconnectedness of the economy. So he quoted the statistic that of Canada's exports, uh, Canada made exports in 2020, $43 billion, 93% went to the United States. Um, you know, Canada's the second, like car manufacturing accounts for the second largest uh, source for Canada's GDP, uh, than oil and gas, uh, or second to oil and gas. And a lot of that is back and forth across the border. And this is where it kind of gets tough. And it's, you know, it's, it's almost like uh, Dimitri's like saying, like, build a wall. That almost seems to be the, <laughs> the ethos. <laughs> um, but it's not so easy because, yeah, if you look at people like Jim Jordan or Matt Gates as sort of like the bellwethers for how crazy things are getting. I mean, mm-hmm. there are a lot of Republicans who are in northern states, like places like Delaware and Vermont, uh, upstate New York, uh, Minnesota, Michigan, you know, like the border states that are like we, you know, a lot of the these politicians are like pushing for more um back and forth between Canada and the US because they see economic benefits uh coming to them they see economic benefits coming to Canada they see sort of a more symbiotic relationship so it's it's unfortunately not so much a cut and dry like we're going to stop dealing with the United States um because uh, like a lot of even a lot of United States politicians Republican and Democrat are going to have a problem with that the real question is i think is America nationally at a point where they can push back against some of the, the things that are coming down the hill. And, you know, this, this, this whole situation with the uh, America made in America uh, exceptions in the build back better plan 
where it's like you're going to get a, a discount on an, if you buy an EV, but only if it's like union made on uh, America made. And it's like, well, what is America made? Because like those cars go back and forth. The parts go back and forth across the border. Like what is what separates things from America made to Canada made? Are you going to start punishing car companies if they are building American cars? And like there are car companies that have made huge investments in Ontario to turn their plants into like uh, from like gas using cars to EV cars with the intention of like, that's going to be a quick hop, skip and a jump across the border. That's going to be our market. We're going to make them here. We're going to make the United States our market. So, you know, how much of this is, is, is going to affect us? And of course, what is like the America first strategy and extension of it's an extension of Trump uh, and the Trump administration ethos. And so here we are like Canada talking about having a trade dispute with Joe Biden's America. But I mean, how much of that is, you know, like, because that's Joe Biden directing it, of course, it's his plan, build back better plan. But how much of it's just like a general ethos that you can't even talk about trade in the same way you could before Trump, because so many people bought into that line of America first. Um, the world is trying to like kill us economically, uh, whether it's Canada, whether it's China or whatever. It's just the, the snowball. I, I, I can I'm concerned the snowball is running so far to hill, far down the hill on a lot of this stuff that you can't just put Joe Biden in front of it and hope it stops anymore. No, and th- there's a lot of myth involved with something, particularly cars. Yeah. Now that made in America, fine, but the parts like on on any well part of my day to day, I deal with uh, backup generation. I, I deal with generators which are made mm-hmm. in uh, uh, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And I won't name the company, but when you give this thing a once over, the parts are from all over the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, to bring it local to Linamar I, I exist in, in Guelph here is just continuously supplying, I think probably imports as well, but a lot of those parts go to the States. We hear about it all the time when something happens at the border, whether it's nine 11 or whatever, it's like, Oh, the parts aren't getting there, mm-hmm. but we've also given up, in a lot of ways, Canada's given up its capacity. We lack capacity now mm-hmm. for various reasons. For the, for the, you know, not, I'm going to decleft. <laughs> Surprise. Oh, no. No, really? No. I can't believe it. When you give up the, the manufacturing that we have, whether it's uh, uh, car parts, cars themselves, when the auto pack collapsed, but I'm thinking in particular of something along the lines of vaccines to take it back to COVID. Mm. We have no capacity to make vaccines. There was announcements, you know, during the, the run there that there, I think was, there's a plant. Uh, Sanofi was going to build a plant Sanofi, which used to be Connaught, which was the uh, vaccine capacity that Canada sold off under various governments. Right. Mm. Well, I think that that plant is still under construction. So right, and, and so is the plant. the The National Research Council is putting in in, in Montreal. The Canada mm-hmm. plant isn't even going to make COVID vaccines. The N, the, the NRC one, the National Research Council plant might, uh-huh. but of course, that's what it took for it to get built. The the National Research Council falls under the Canadian government, and that is one of the key differences here. Is that we will tend to lean in that way a little bit, whether it's with our universal healthcare system or something like the government is building a uh, plant to make vaccines and have vaccine capacity. That's something that I don't think happens in the States. The government, the government might throw money at private industry to do that. 
Mm-hmm. And then various partners will take their cut and various people will become multimillionaires or <laughs> whatever from it. Right. Till a vaccine rolls out and says, okay, here you go. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, um, that's how, that's how we roll here because we, you know, living in the shadow of the U S there's the, the similarities in terms of, as I see it, corporate control of everything, right. Mm-hmm. Or most things with some exceptions, Canada has more exceptions than the U S does. And, uh, you know, pleasing the oligarchs, mm-hmm. be they large or small is, is how is, is the connection that we, we have our, you know, the Canadian version of the billionaires and the multi multi-millionaire rich people. And in the States, it's like exponential with the Elon Musk's and the Bezos of the world. Except um, I think the difference deep. is that, you know, we, we kind of, you have to kind of be in the know, like someone like Elon Musk, who is just like named times person of the year, which is heinous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, these people are kind of like known public figures, like who are the Canadian billionaires uh, like maybe, you know, the Thompsons because they own the Globe and Mail. Maybe, you know, the Westons because, you know, Galen Weston was once, you know, uh, bogarting the price of bread and, you know, or because did all their PCR tests. Yeah. Those guys. Or yeah. yeah. He used to be in the ads. So, I mean, I, I think that's kind of a danger too, is like our, our kind of billionaire class or oligarch class kind of isn't known to us. And that's, that's kind of a red flag too. Yeah, but again, I think that's very Canadian. It's yeah. Oh, yeah. it's something that's you know very much part of a part of the well settler nation anyway. Sure, is that they we don't really trumpet those kinds of things. Whereas somebody like a Trump, say the accidental <laughs> billionaire, right? That's right. all he talks about. Like you never hear. Um, I'm not much on Comrade Black, but <laughs> <laughs> at least as as everyone probably knows. But to have somebody like that chiming in to the media regularly, mm-hmm. I don't think that's something you see in the U.S. Like it's more show. It's mm-hmm. let's let's have our penis rocket competition. Where are we going with this? I don't know. No, I don't know. You're right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All right. It's like no. You're you're right. It's, it's it, I don't know. Is being wealthy in Canada more intellectual and more kind of like oh there goes so and so? You know we don't we we don't treat the the right, star we, we, machine the same in canada it's like oh right. i don't know if i should go and talk to them <laughs> whereas in the, the states it's like no, i mean look at somebody like kevin o'leary who like tried to like trump his way to the conservative leadership in 20s mm-hmm. in 2017 and it's like oh actually our quote-unquote star system doesn't quite work the same like even no but like no matter how big a star you are you know, uh, you you still kind of have to work for it. I mean, you know, think about like Canadian stars, like you know Stephen McHattie or like Jane Eastwood, like people you would recognize from things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, those people are still auditioning. Like when <laughs> when they're going out there, nobody's like saying, "Get me Stephen McHattie on the phone." But uh, yeah, I I think that is sort of one of our built-in things. There, you know it's a danger that we don't know the oligarchs here, but it's also rather comforting that we haven't turned them into stars either, or that we don't let their star power, like in the case of Kevin O'Leary, who really was kind of like tried to do the Trump route as a reality TV show, carnival Barker. He just, he tried to go, you know, legit into politics and he just couldn't do it because we, we expect more things um, from, 
no matter how little we think of our politicians, we still expect a lot from well, them. Some, something we do in, expect in Canada is for people to do their time. Yeah. Right. Uh, you can't just appear on the scene because, oh, look, I'm a self, the, the classic, I'm a self-made man. Make me right. the president. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> like you, you have to do, whether it's a little bit of time or a lot of time, you still need to do that time. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there are, you know, that that's, there are key differences, but. Yeah, uh, that seemed like a bigger discussion that we shouldn't have yeah. crammed into 15 <laughs> minutes on the show. But uh, we have to pay our respects to uh, Mega City Mel. Mel Lastman passed away over the weekend. Uh, he is well known as the first uh, mayor of the Amalgamated Toronto. He was the longest serving mayor of North York, pretty much responsible for turning North York from I don't know, uh, sort of like the desolate north end of Toronto into a thriving uh, suburb in its own right. Uh, Also known for his gaffes, uh, quite a career of gaffes. And it was only until I was like digging into um, Mel's history that I I kind of like rediscovered them all. It was kind of like like buying a Greatest Hits album. Um, Like there was him like hanging out with Hell's Angels at at the convention center. He was going in and he was hugging them and they're high five and he's going like, oh, they're great guys. Uh, There was uh, the affair. (laughs) He had an affair which resulted in a couple of illegitimate children. And that was a whole thing. Uh, His wife was caught shoplifting in 99 and he told Adam Vaughn he would kill him for reporting it. And then, of course, most famously, there was um the sars uh <laughs> the, the previous on the previous pandemic when uh mel lastman uh went on cnn and had such a disastrous interview where he just i don't know who the who is where are they getting this information and uh was famously mocked on the daily show so uh yeah we'll miss we'll miss mayor mel and his foibles i guess <laughs> yeah and sort of playing into Topic one, mm-hmm. we love our uh, colorful people, let's say, <laughs> to be at the municipal level, right? Yeah. Sometimes they progress beyond that. Uh, Mel Lastman ran for the conservatives uh, at the provincial level, I think it was in the nineteen mid-1970s. Mm. And uh, then he switched to, I think he switched to the liberals. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he was card-carrying. There's some... There's some that's the thing about this period of time. There's these sort of like, well, we don't really know uh, where he was. He sat politically, but that's the, that's the beauty of municipal, right? You can kind of travel in many circles, but yeah. something, you know, that affair that he had would have sunk him in the modern day. Mm-hmm. If that had come out in this era, I mean, that was in that. I think it was in the seventies. I'm not sure where it, when it all wrapped up. I was wondering whether the sons from the affair, who look exactly like him, by the way, even though he said, no, 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 they're not mine, <clears throat> and then <laughs> tests proved that they were. Uh, Grace Louis was an employee of a bad boy. Mm-hmm. Bad boy indeed. Um, <clears throat> yeah. He, he, he outright denied who th- that they were even connected to him. They lived in poverty. Mm-hmm. You know, Here's this great guy, Mel, that everybody loves, but essentially a deadbeat dad. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought of that when they said, oh, his wife, his dear wife of 16 years, Marilyn. And of course they were close and tight probably, but there was obviously a period where they weren't that close. Right. Mm-hmm. I hate this to turn into G talk nightly, but it's, you know, that, 
this is what we're dealing with here, right? Like I said, 50 years ago, you could get away. There's a lot you could get away with 50 years ago. And I think that's the thing with Mal Lastman is that he kind of bridged uh, a growing Toronto to the modern era, right? So he it, he's kind of, he's, he's similar to Hazel McCallion in that if he wanted to stay, uh, I was going to say president, <laughs> if he wanted to stay president of Toronto, uh, he probably could have. I think he stepped down for health reasons in the early zeros, so 20 years ago. Yeah. He was affected by the uh, uh, tainted blood scandal, right? Yeah, he had hepatitis. Yeah. Hepatitis. Yeah. So that's, I think that affected him. And it's actually almost, what was he, 88? It's surprising that he, uh, you know, managed to uh, stick around that long. But his, I think Marilyn died in this year, year as well, right? Earlier yeah. this year. So. Yeah. Um, I think one of the sons spoke to that and at his funeral, how it's, you know, that was kind of the beginning of the end, but that's uh, colorful indeed. And huckster, that was the first uh, word that came to mind for me. And of course, <laughs> the first thing I read in the star was like huckster, right? But I mean, you know, what was he famous for? Um, selling a fridge to an Eskimo. Yeah. So it, it's another thing you can't do. You can't say Eskimo and you can't do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there was, he, he was always breaking the rules. Like, when he was mayor of Toronto, he was like still in bad boy ads. Like that's, that seems like something that would put you in front of the integrity commissioner for sure. I, I think the only reason why he didn't is because it was kind of grandfathered in and it was kind of like right in the middle of like amalgamation. And there was 10, a hundred other things that needed to be done. Uh, and so, you know, taking the mayor to the integrity commissioner might've seemed like a bridge too far just in terms of the workload not necessarily holding some account but i mean if it happened today and if you know john tory had like a furniture company or <laughs> you know if he was selling rogers uh he was appearing in rogers ads that would definitely go to the integrity commissioner yeah, he for was, sure he was kind of pushing the line because he didn't actually he owned it and then i think the brick owned it he sold up when he became mayor of north york i think yeah but then the son blaine lastman bought the business back yeah, it was a Sleeman situation. Yeah, yeah Sleeman situation, exactly. So he was kind of pushing the line there and being in the ads, right? But mm. I, I don't know if it was, did he benefit? Well, I suppose he did benefit because that's that's a lot of coverage that you get for, you know, that's how people know him, knew him as the bad boy at one point. That's and of course, people, yeah. those <laughs> that bad boy prisoner outfit, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure when that was discontinued, but <laughs> I, I specifically remember a lot of late night TV with the, uh, I was like, oh, even then, I was like, oh my god, really? But that, yeah, that's. I mean, that's how it was building brand awareness. Yeah, it was building the brand of Bad Boy, but it was also building the brand of Mel. And I mean, it's something that that kind of retail politics, and a lot of people made the connection. It's like, can you get to Rob Ford without Mel Lastman? I don't think you can. No. Uh, but I mean, it's also part of the kind of like a horrid cycle in Toronto, where you know they. Mel Lastman beats Barbara Hall to be the first mayor of the amalgamated Toronto. And, you know, there's a ton of stuff on the front burner, but I mean, it's a situation where you kind of needed a technocrat, but who did everybody go for? They went for the flamboyant guy. They saw like watching like great movies on city TV between, you know, commercial breaks. Uh, and then, you know, you get to Rob Ford. who's all about, you know, cutting the gravy train and uh, you know, subway, subway, subways. And then, you know, that's up, that's four years lost because you have a mayor who's not terribly interested in the technocratic things. Mm. And then you, so then you go back to the, like the boring boardroom guy when you get John Tory. So, I mean, the question is like, 
who's the next <laughs> who's the next character to emerge in Toronto politics um, to sort of take up that baton, or is, is Toronto kind of cured itself of you know needing the sh- the great showman as mayor, which a lot of people pointed out was another uh, sort of appealing aspect of Mel Lastman. Like apparently he has the Guinness Book of World Records for saying that, you know, Toronto's the greatest city in the world. He just said it so many times. It's <laughs> that they gave it to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or world-class city. That's the other one I remember. Right. But also remember there's no money. It was yeah. always like, it, there, there's no money for anything. There's And part of that too. And this is what, this is where Ford and Lastman parallel Mm-hmm. was that Lastman took great pride in never having raised taxes. Actually, so did Hazel McCallion. Mm-hmm. A lot of that is to do with the builds that were going on, the development that was happening, and all those things. You don't necessarily have to raise taxes. And then when amalgamation happened, he had to raise taxes. So, of course, he just blamed the province for it, right? Well, we have mm-hmm. to. We have to do this because, you know, my friend, but also today he's not my friend, Mike Harris, <laughs> Who is, I think there was that clip of him yelling, you're a liar, right? Yeah. That kind of showmanship. Something they, that Ford and him definitely had in common, but something they also had in common was that the suburbs elected them. Yeah. The suburbs elected Mel Lastman to mayor when the city's amalgamated, because he, he probably wouldn't have been able to do that otherwise. Because North York, he had North York locked up. Um, and, and that was the same with Ford, too, right? Ford from Etobicoke. They run a business. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, all the, one of the key differences, though, is that Mel Lastman was an actual rags to riches story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whereas Ford inherited his. So that there's a difference. But it still involves money. They're still both millionaires, right? So well, Toronto Lassman... seems to alternate from millionaire to technocrat, right? You go from like a John Sewell to a Mel Lastman to a... Well, who was it after uh, David Mel Miller? was David Miller, right? Yeah. So that's leaning more towards the... Uh, traditional established head down da, da, da. also down oh. also downtown establishment too and a downtowner yeah yeah whereas john tory is just establishment i guess yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well he yeah he john tory has the benefit of like li- like literally being the most boring guy in the world standing yeah. next to rob then doug in the 2014 election and i mean when's the last time you know, there was a scandal involving John Tory, like something him, yeah. he did personally, like talk about how I'm going to go to Africa. Hope I don't up, end up in a boiling pot with some native dancing around oh, me. Oh, yeah. Like- <laughs> and then he said he broke the record for saying sorry at that press conference like 50 times. I don't know what else to say. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. God, I remember seeing that in the news. I was like, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, they say that that didn't scuttle the Toronto Olympic bid, but. I, I oh, know. it probably did. And in some ways, maybe he did Toronto a favor by doing that in some I, bizarre warped way. It, yeah, it could be. We'll have to, we'll have to hop in the old way back machine. And <laughs> anyway, uh, we're going to take a break and then we're going to come right back with our mayor, Mayor Cam Guthrie. Uh, you're listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Who's better for furniture?
And that was our Royal Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records, 21 McDonnell in the downtown. I think at this point I'd probably call to see whether they're open or not because the way things are going can neither confirm nor deny. But what I can confirm is that that was Sly and Robbie. And if you don't know the name Sly and Robbie, you've definitely heard them and you've heard that sound as you just heard. That song was called Dub Glory. Collaborators extraordinaire and... the. Robbie Shakespeare, who died this past week, was somebody deeply, deeply influential, but somebody you might not necessarily know. Everybody knows Michael Naismith of the... um, Monkeys. Of the monkeys. (laughs) I almost said the Beatles. (laughs) Oh, I know at least one of our listeners will not be happy with that. Was he the fifth Beatle? Anyway. (laughs) I think he might have known them. But yeah, so again, this is another one of these years where towards the end of the year, uh, famous rock and rollers seem to... um, everyone's trying to get their death in before the end of the year it's it is weird uh, there's a there's a something about december that yeah this one sucks but anyway it doesn't yeah. suck when you're listening to good dub music though so no make the most of it. uh so i guess they probably don't need a drummer um but we do have a drummer on the interview this week it is mayor cam guthrie and uh so we just like we wanted to have the mayor on to have a general chat about the end of the year uh, what does he make of some of the stuff that went down in 2021? What's he looking forward to in 2022? Uh, just before we get into it, though, I, there is a bit at the beginning about uh, lifting the state of emergency and what considerations they're in. And of course, earlier this week, uh, it was announced from the city of Guelph that they are not lifting the state of emergency as planned by the end of the year. That's going to stay in place because of you know what. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm leaving it in just for a bit of context because we did record this a bit in advance of uh, that announcement earlier this week. But uh, other than that, this is uh, the state of state of the city with Mayor Cam Guthrie. Uh, so, uh, Mayor Guthrie, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, where to begin? Well, let's start with... Um, the, the state of emergency, there's talk about it committee of the whole this month. Uh, what would possibly stop you um, or what kind of advice would you take into consideration if the state of emergency were to not end on December 31st at this point? I mean, what would kind of get, get interrupt those plans, I guess? Yeah, so... I've already thought of that. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> interesting that you would ask that. Uh, it would obviously everything I've been doing uh, in regards to this particular decision that is afforded to uh, a head of council um, is really the communication that comes and the advice that comes from the medical officer of health uh, alongside uh, the emergency operations uh, committee group that um, has been meeting Uh, Over the last, I would say, uh, eight or nine months uh, weekly, Uh, before that, it was twice a week. Uh, And so, uh, you know, I obviously took the similar advice uh, when I went to declare it. And so I'm coming back around and making sure that I'm I'm listening to experts uh, before we move forward with removing it. Uh, Obviously, um, one of the things that so th- there's two things that really happen with the state of emergency. Well, I'll say, I'll say a third one as well. <laughs> so the, the first one is it gives delegated authority to staff in particular, the CAO uh, to be able to move quickly 
on sort of resources that are required, if it's um, facilities that are required uh, for, um, uh, for purchasing of PPE, uh, like those, uh, those types of things that are re- required. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the secondary part of that is more around uh, being able to move people within the organization of the city around from their normal job description to say, no, sorry, you used to do this, but we need you to go over and, you know, do cleaning or set up some PPE barriers or whatever. So, um, and those two things are really the only things that um, a state of emergency does from the administrative side. The Mm -hmm. third thing I would add is that it does send a message of seriousness to the community. Uh, And and that, that is, uh, that obviously is why I also wanted to do it at the beginning um, when it was declared. Uh, the seriousness issue, I believe, is still there within the community. They are taking it seriously, and, uh, and that has not waned. And so uh, that would be another factor, of course, with when you hear of Omicron, uh, you know, you hear of other things that are coming. Those are obviously in the back of my mind as I think as we move towards December the 31st, when is when the um, state of emergency should be lifted. So looking back at 2021. Um, Is that the year we're in? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, hey, I, I hear to, you. Yeah. <laughs> I was not a hundred percent sure it was Wednesday until I got up this morning. But uh, looking back at 2021, it seemed like this year sort of presented even more unique challenges than last year. Um, you know, you can make the argument last year was all about responding to like a sudden emergency, the sudden emergence of this and, you know, you were sort of playing defense this year kind of required you to play and, and all political leaders for that matter to sort of play more offense. So looking back at the year, what do you think your biggest challenges were? Uh, well, I would, I would say, I would say that I can maybe answer that in, in two ways uh, because I, I, you can't get rid of sort of the COVID issue. So I would answer it under the, the theme of COVID. The biggest challenge was, really the rollout of the vaccinations and, and trying to get as many people vaccinated as possible. And that worked. Uh, that was, that was a, a big challenge logistically, communications wise. And uh, my goodness, you know, thank goodness uh, I, I'm, I'm the mayor for Guelph because uh, <laughs> we, we know how to get it done. Uh, so, but that still doesn't mean it was easy. Uh, there was a lot of logistics and communication around the COVID issue. And that was a, that was a big challenge that everyone stepped up to and, and we got it, we got it done. Now we have, of course, uh, the next challenge, which is would be the younger, the, the kids uh, for, for vaccinations, but that's uh, that uptake is, is going very well. Um, and then in the sort of the non, the non uh, COVID uh, column uh, of, of challenges, uh, I, I would just say there was just a lot of things happening at, at City Hall when it came to issues of the community. And uh, to, to wade through all of those things, which is expected, that's our job to wade through them, uh, but to still have that sort of COVID layer of things on, on top of it, um, just added that a little bit of complexity to some of those, those challenges too. Um, good stuff still happened, uh, of course, uh, this year. It, it always does. Uh, but there was uh, there was still uh, a lot of challenges as well, and not just internally at, 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 at sort of the city of Guelph as well, as the mayor with Ontario Big City Mayors and other advocacy work with upper levels of government that really ramped up 
even more so this year um, as well. Since you brought that up, um, we kind of like to sometimes think of our problems here in Guelph as kind of unique to us. Uh, but given your, how you interact with other mayors, especially the Ontario big city mayors, how unique has Guelph's challenges been this year? So when it comes to the Ontario Big City Mayor's uh, Caucus, uh, we all really do wade through the same challenges. Um, from a public health perspective, vaccination rollout and uptake from uh, transit issues uh, as a big uh, revenue loss. Uh, the, other, the other revenue losses that we've had this year from uh, recreational tourism, uh, the theater culture. Uh, we all experience those things. Uh, I think if I could say where Guelph has come out really well, and this would be not just with Ontario big city mayors, but even with sm smaller mayors, smaller communi uh, communities across the province. Um, we were so united at a leadership level, both council, mayor, executive team, and then the greater community leadership as well that I don't think we had to experience a lot of the hurdles of anti-vax, mm. um, you know, councillors, even a few mayors, uh, uh, perpetuating uh, anti-science and other issues that some of the other communities had to deal with. And uh, so those are challenges that they had to try to deal with. And, and, and the mayors uh, and I talked about that quite a bit. Uh, whereas in Guelph, that, that did not rear its ugly head. I know what you mean by it didn't rear its ugly head, but um, there is sort of still a head. And I have talked to people who say they who, who are in the, shall we say, skeptical community, because I know they don't like the term anti-vaxxers. But I know they reach out to you because you are very active on social media. So I guess uh, just generally, how, how have you learned to sort of handle that? You know, how have you learned to, you know. Because, I mean, it, it runs the gamut, right, Cam? It, it, you know, it runs from people who are like, how dare you suggest I get a vaccine to, like, you are a monster and part of this cabal that's trying to take over the world. So, yeah. I mean, how do, you, yeah. how, do you, how do you stay kind of upbeat and positive on social media when you're also getting it from the other end? First of all, I would say that I agree with you. Uh, and I, I personally define anti-vax as the ones that are purely just anti-vax, anti-science. Sure. Uh, and then there is vaccine hesitant which is a diff I do not, you know, uh, put them in the same, uh, uh, same, you know, same room. Um, but when I did say rear its ugly head, um, you know, the anti-vax specific, uh, it's more like a pinky toe. Mm. Uh, what I mean by that is it's, uh, when, when I, we look at our numbers, when you look at the metrics and the data and we're at, you know, heading up to 95% of our, of our community with at least one dose heading for the second, uh, and then you take that remaining 5%. Yes, some of them will be hesitant. Some of them will have medical, uh, you know, re re real reasons, medical um, reasons why they cannot. Uh, and that leaves the, the tiniest of tiniest of, of those that um, are, are speaking out, which, by the way, uh, they have the right to. I, I'm a freedom of speech person and they have the right to do that. Uh, but uh, that's why I describe it as it's minor. It's the pinky toe. It's not rearing the ugly head. It's, it's very, very minor, but they are the loudest. Right. And so yeah, when it comes to social media and uh, it has to, uh, 
to deal with that. And I deal with it. I deal with it every single day. Uh, I do every single day. Uh, I, uh, I tend to engage where I can and not engage because it's just better that I don't. There's, there's no, there's, there's no way getting through um, with some of them uh, that this is a, this is a community responsibility um, to look out for your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers and your family. And, um, and some that view it uh, completely uh, against their, their own selves. I, I, it's hard to have those conversations. They have the right to have the conversations. I have the right to not engage in them. I mean, it is something of a conundrum and, you know, you may be privy to um, some ideas I'm not, but, you know, we do have that high uptake on vaccines. We do not have this large sort of um, protest contingent. I mean, just 20 minutes up the road in Waterloo, they turn out thousands of people in the square to protest vaccine mandates. That doesn't happen here. Yeah. Uh, no. And it's just twenty minutes away. It, it, it's it, it's it's a it's a question I've struggled with, like what makes this what makes Guelph different? And I hate this like this idea that we have like magical dust in the water or whatever. But it, it, it is just a conundrum to me that that we seem to have that wall around us. It's not impenetrable, but it's it's you know we, we we sort of there's something going on here. You know what I mean? Yep. And look, the, I, this is going to sound, I, I, look, I'm, gonna, I'm about to say what I've probably repeated way too many times. So it's just going to you know, come out easily, but it, it's in the Guelph DNA. There, there, it, there is something about us looking out for each other within this community. Uh, always, not just recently. And, and that's why I think in an earlier answer, I said to you, I'm pretty, you know, I'm blessed to be the mayor of Guelph because when I hear about some of the other stories, that other communities are having to handle and the challenges they face. Um, we have our own challenges, but they don't have some of those that, that, uh, that are occurring there. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. We don't have some of those that are occurring in, in other places. Right. You also mentioned revenue, which makes me think about the budget. Um, it was a rough one this year, but at the same time, there wasn't kind of any big move, right? I mean, you, there, there was kind of a motion you suggested to, you know, levy a big portion of the of the reserve just to bring down the the um the levy for 2022 but in terms of like big tickets nobody was like let's take the rec center off the table or the library or the operations campus you know sort of the things that are or you know even just like the ma any of the master plans there was a lot of reticence from uh, your colleagues about doing that i'm wondering if we've kind of hit the wall like the, the 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 levy increase this year four point two one, is that just, you know, we, there's nothing we can do. We either have to sort of embrace the, this the the whole everything we've been doing the last few years, or stop doing any of it and accept that maybe we can't do everything. I guess what's your point of view? Well, my 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 point of view, uh, be, you know, before the vote was taken, and not just in the realm of the budget, but leading up to the budget with many of the decisions this council has made is that um, we're going too fast on too many projects. We know that there's other projects coming down the pipe. And on top of that, we are in a pandemic. And I felt like it was just not the right time to be locking the community into 
um, these higher budgets uh, that that are, in my view, very uh, unaffordable for mm-hmm. uh, for people. Uh, and so, uh, I, I my preference would be to uh, to be looking at the pace uh, a lot better of all projects, all and um, and some of them you've named, uh, and because there's no sacred cow, they, they, they all need to have that scrutiny. Uh, I will say that some are further ahead than others, mm. and and there is um, there's some nuances with that with that. Um, but uh, you know, it is it. it I, I said this in the, my little wrap up video that I that I do. You know, when I say it is what it is. I don't mean that, you know, to fluff it off, but <laughs> what I mean is when council makes a decision, that's what it is. And, and, now, and now we got to move forward. And I, I said this in another media interview that even though I didn't vote for the budget for one of the reasons being affordability, um, my job as mayor is to now implement the things that are in that budget in the best possible way that it can be done having the right oversight on the things that council approved uh, to the best of my ability, as well as look for continued efficiencies, grants, advocacy work with upper levels of government, um, donations, sponsorships, whatever we can do to get that revenue in to help offset that issue of affordability that was front of mind for me. Along with that, and I I did try this out on a couple of your colleagues, but um, I think one of the things we're, we're sort of seeing at the city, uh, all cities for that matter, is that they're being asked to do a lot that used to be handled by upper levels of government. You yeah. don't have as many, shall we say, keys to, um, you know, activate things. There's only kind of one really revenue stream you control. So given you're now eight years, almost eight years of experience as mayor, um, the interaction you've done with colleagues in other cities is it time for maybe cities to get some more of authority to get some more autonomy and and should is that going to be like something you'll be pushing for in the two elections we've got coming up in 22 absolutely and we've been talking about this e- even before sort of the pandemic fog of things that we we uh, as a collective not just as a city we but si- uh, we as as mayors from across uh, the country might i add um, not just in a provincial lens have been asking for a new fiscal, uh, you know, fiscal governance that happens between us and the other levels of government, uh, more autonomy, uh, not just in the fiscal uh, column uh, for municipalities. We are uh, we are a right order of government. We are, I would argue, the most transparent level of government. We have to balance our books by law every year. Uh, we do everything out in the open from public engagement and delegation. Uh, and the scrutiny, then the accountability that's there from the local level. And, uh, and we need to be respected as that government that we, that we are. And uh, I will say that there's been always sort of that talk of more autonomy, but especially over the pandemic, it re- really uh, rose as an issue with municipalities uh, that um, we, we need a new fiscal structure, municipal tri-level government structure and we're really hoping that it does come up um, in the upcoming election next year next year for provincial and at any time with the federal government because it's a minority government 
So what would that look like? Uh, I would say I did mention sort of the fiscal column and then non sort of fiscal issues as well. So I'll talk about the non ones just off the top of my head, uh, land use, planning mm. use, uh, things like that, that the autonomy of the, of the, the local uh, council and the local community is looking for. I think that could be, there, there are issues there that could be strengthened. Um, uh, the, then from the fiscal column, uh, you know, you look at years ago, the, the, um, the Toronto Act, uh, as, a, as an example, as the only municipality within the 444 of the province where they are able to do, they have more levers, more, more levers that they're able to pull when it comes to revenue generation, uh, certain fees, as an example, that could be implemented user fees for things that when people use them, you got to pay for it. And it doesn't come out of um, the burden of just the property tax system. Uh, and so some, some of those types of levers uh, are, are things that I think need to be examined and looked at. Uh, to give more options of, of uh, revenue generation that is not through this archaic system of property tax um, where it, it just it, it doesn't work anymore because as you started your question, there's things that we are handling now on the property tax base mm. that were never supposed to be done on the property tax base. In fact, I heard this one line about a year ago from somebody and I might botch it a little bit, but uh, it, it was basically property tax was meant to help with property issues, not so much people issues. And if I could say to define that a little bit, it's the social services downloading of housing, affordable housing, social housing, the, all this, the public, some of the public health social issues that cities are facing were once done by upper levels of government and they've been downloaded and downloaded and downloaded onto a property tax-based system that is unable to handle those demands um, from a, uh, well, paying for them. Mm -hmm. I think also with the election next year, there may be an opportunity for maybe an education piece. And that sort of came about in the, the delegations about the downtown business association review uh, that was also at committee, I guess. Uh, what kind who of work? <laughs> yeah. Who does what? I mean, what kind of work? <laughs> Can, can we do in, in sort of that area as we go again, as we go into an election year? Yeah. You know what? I, I, I personally try to do the education piece and not, not, not to be like, a, you know, <laughs> uh, don't you get it? Don't you understand? I mean, you know, right. you, even you yourself, Adam and I, we live it, we live and breathe this, this stuff. We, 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 we're in our bubble a little bit and, and people are busy and, but they want to, learn who does what, right? They just know that taxes are coming out of their pocket and they think uh, the, the, the local government is always the closest one. So they think, oh, well, it must be you that does hospitals. It must be you that does uh, housing, uh, you know, when it's not. Um, so uh, I, I jokingly said to uh, a couple of people a little while ago, I'm going to get a t-shirt made that says it's provincial, period. <laughs> Just to, because a lot of the things that I get asked about, and I'm sure my, my colleagues, my other counselors get asked about is, is not in our jurisdiction. Uh, so yeah, I think you're right. There's always an opportunity to do sort of that educational part. Um, and uh, I, I think it has to be ongoing because there is, there is a lot of uh, misinformation out there innocently uh, where people think the municipality does it all um, when in, well, even the budget, right? I mean, there was, the 4.21 uh, is made up of 
what's city, what's, what's not city, you know, what, what's those outside boards, those mm. are separate entities. And so, you know, even, even the budget is a moment where, where I think hopefully some education sort of occurs with the community too. Well, let me first say this, Cam, if you get a t-shirt that says it's provincial, people are going to take that as an announcement. Um, oh. <laughs> that's not, that's not happened. <laughs> All right, good. I'm glad we got that confirmation. No. But the other thing, it, it did make me want to ask you this, uh, Premier Ford, whenever he comes to Guelph and your name comes up, he attaches two words to you, absolute champion. <laughs> what goes through your head when you hear the Premier say that? <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. You know what? Um, I got along really well with Kathleen Wynn, really well. She was, uh, she's, she is, she's a lovely lady. Um, and, you know, I always look at the relationships I have with the premier or the prime minister uh, as, um, you know, they're not the, the 10 second clips that everyone sees on uh, in the media. Uh, th- these are real people. When you have conversations with them, uh, they, they are um, they're both attentive and, and willing to listen. And, and and I've had the opportunity to call the premier a few times and. And he has listened. And I've advocated for things that Guelph is needing, and uh, you know I have to praise. I have to praise that. That 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 is worthwhile of praise, and uh, and so I I appreciate I, I appreciate when he talks. You know, nice. He could definitely say something worse. Uh, so I'll t- I'll take the compliment. Uh, and um, uh, it yeah, you know everyone everyone doesn't matter what you do in your life. Everyone likes a little pat in the back every now and then. So I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's fair enough. Uh, Cam Guthrie, absolute champion. Thanks for all your time today. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll put that on the t-shirt instead of this is provincial. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a better idea, actually. Yeah. yeah. All righty. So that was once again, Mayor Cam Guthrie. And uh, well, I got nothing else to add. Pretty uh, <laughs> much covered it all. Always good to hear from Cam. I think it's like it's almost becoming a year-end tradition, isn't it? That we have. Yeah, we try to have him on at the end of the year, and yeah. uh, either on here or on the Politicast. Uh, I think he did the Politicast last year. Got 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 Mike Schreiner on a year-end podcast for this year, so that's a good one. I'll just put in a plug for my own podcast right now. That uh, that's a good interview you want to hear because it's Mike taking a look back at uh, his his tenure as Guelph's MPP. So. Uh, uh, there you some, go. <laughs> some good holiday listening coming. It will yeah. be some good holiday listening because it is the, the the name of the episode is Christmas with Mike. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so look forward to that, and uh, you'll have to look forward to it because that's the end of this week's show. And you could stay connected to us at our website, opensourcesguelph.com. We're on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. You can listen to this show again by downloading it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or on your favorite podcast app, Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. I'm on Twitter and Instagram personally at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter, and for all things CFRU, scheduling information, what's on during the break and whatnot, and forever, check out <laughs> CFRU.ca. And yeah, speaking of the holiday break, we're going to start off with our holiday holiday break shows next week, the movie show. And the week after that, it's going to be the year-end award show. So stay tuned for that. And stay tuned for DJ Sounds Good to Me here at the top of the hour on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca. 
Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Thursday for that regular uh, end of the year OSG movie show, 5 p.m. Thursday, and we will see you then.